Welcome to the second episode of the Ninth Story Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mr. Craig Weber. We talk about dark fairy tales and Craig's admiration of Dr. John Towers. We make excuses for Prince Charming and talk about drinking tea in gentlemen's clubs and the snot green sea. Craig channels that guy from the electric company. Giorgio Sugolo still has amazing hair. Hello. Let's go for a ride. Ninth Story. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Ninth Story. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, lived a giant, a mouse, and two chimps on a Davenport. One day, the first chimp said to the other, We should make Welcome to the second episode of the Ninth Story Podcast. Today, I am joined by Mr. Weber. Mr. Weber. That's well, it. Doctor. That's that's fine. Captain. Captain. Oh, Captain. My no, Captain. No. Well, Mr. is dr- just. Se- 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 senior Director, Craig Weber. <laughs> <laughs> what yes. exactly are you, know, you a director never, of? Right, exactly. I was never one much for titles anyway. So, yes, Mr. is fine. Anyway. Is so, that- yeah, nice to be here. Good to be here on the second episode. You know, I was distraught to not be part of the first premiere episode because, you know, I know this thing is going to take off and I wanted to say I was there from the very beginning. Like a rocket. That's right. You know, it's like, I don't know. I feel like, um, I don't know. You know, maybe I'm Ringo Starr. Maybe Towers was Pete Beth and I'm (laughs) jumping in here now and taking the throne, wrestling it away from Towers. Although I don't want to wrestle Towers because what did he say? He occasionally throws his fat ass into some wrestling tights and goes out there and does his independent wrestling thing. Does his Johnny Axe thing. That's correct. And gets vile on people. And God bless him for it. I love John. The uh, the first episode we did, uh, we talked about... We talked yes, about bad guys a lot. We talked about one of your favorite bad guys, Lecter. And yes, too, too briefly. And hopefully, you know, this will not just be the, my virgin episode and that's it. Hopefully, we'll get to do this many times because, you know, we would come back to that again and again because, you know, one of the things that Towers talked about, which I would love to have, I'd love to have a show with the three of us talking about this concept, We should definitely do that. Because he talked about... I can't remember his exact terminology, but he talked about uh, Teddy Bear and Somebody Up. Yes. I think he made reference to Teddy Bear and Somebody Up a couple of times. Yeah. Which, um, all due respect to John, because he's a good writer, good storyteller, and very creative guy. You and I talked about this many times before. I like that because it shows the human side of the darkness. So I would love to have him expand upon it and tell me where I was wrong and then drop kick me. <laughs> Um, right I think he mentioned in reference to Lecter because <laughs> Lecter is just oozing evil all the time. Yes. Because he's completely insane, obviously. When you're talking about the Corleones and you're talking about Vito, he has that human side to him. That's right. And he's also a cold-blooded killer. Whereas Lecter, that's just kind of his thing. That becomes that bigger issue about storytelling, yeah. which is which is the at, the at the front and center of the, the Ninth Story podcast. That's the thing that I feel is compelling about storytelling because if somebody's just a bad guy, who cares? Exactly you know, right. You have to develop the character. And it's that old thing like, is anybody ever just born truly evil? There was always good in somebody. 
and a lot of times I think where stories fail is whether it's a movie, a television show or whatever, or a book that you never finish is that either the viewer, the listener, the reader, whatever, didn't stick with it long enough to understand how the character was developed. Right, to get their motivation. That's right, yeah. I mean, because Michael Corleone was not going to be bad. The family wanted to shield him from that, and that's a big part of the film. When that's Don the Vito is crying in the bedroom, or in his hospital room, when he finds out that Michael is now over in Italy because he's the one who shot Salazzo and McCloskey in the head. Right. Okay, great moment in cinema. But then over the rest of the first film, completely in the second film and then into the third that's where he devolves into pure evil and then in the third one he's trying to reconcile his evil which is what we're seeing right now with the greatest story of our time in my opinion this week yeah <laughs> <laughs> until it's over if i can right if, if i can be hyperbolic but that's but that's the whole thing you know and it's it's the darth vader it's the hannibal lecter it's the whole they were evil they were they were but you know Lecter was introduced to us as evil. Right. And then we go back and learn how he became evil. Vader was introduced to us as evil. Pure evil. The epitome of evil. The mm -hmm. guy in the black hat. Right. Literally. Absolutely. And then we go back and understand what made him human. And, and I think that's good storytelling. Yeah, I Again, do too. Towers would hit me upside the head with the 2 by 4 and he'd probably <laughs> be right to do it, but that's okay. That's okay. You have the... I I love this character because he's a bad guy and he's badass and now he's a nice guy and he's okay and you know it's all right that he eats people because he played his sister <laughs> don't worry about it uh, you you're such a kid yeah see and that's and that's the thing and I and and that that's I know you're being tongue in cheek about that right but that but that's the um, I think sometimes that upsets people because this is escapism and I want to watch a movie where I don't like the bad guy I want to root against the bad guy mm -hmm. I like the bad guy because he's evil and I want to root against him. I don't want to like him. Right. Don't make him human to me. You know? I think they're more compelling. I mean, the best bad guys have something redeeming about them. So what are you reading these days? I What am I reading these days? Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm reading much, to yeah. be honest with you. Are you listening to anything? I am. I, Watching I, anything? I, well, uh, what I'm obviously, I, I just gave reference to Breaking Bad um, as, you know, as we, as we record, as we, as we, as we go to tape. Yes, or, that's out. That's a dated term. <laughs> but as we record this episode, we're almost forty-eight hours away, and I'm I'm very excited about this. You know, it's the last time I think I was this excited about seeing something. You sound excited. I am excited. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> the last time I was this excited, and again, you, you know, I know you and and the aforementioned Doctor John Towers are not fans of it. I was so damn excited to see Revenge of the Sith that I could barely sit still. I was excited when, to see when, Revenge when, of the when Sith. When Revenge of the Sith was coming out, because it was like, you knew how it was going to end. Yes. You knew. You know, you know, you knew it. I knew how it was going to end. Obviously, but how do they get there? But how do they get there? That's right. right. So I have a pretty good sense for how Breaking Bad's going to end, but it's been a five year roller coaster and just can't wait to see how they wrap it up in 75 minutes. Now, did you watch it from the beginning? I did. That's why I think it's like one of the greatest stories because that show just evolved. And, and I think that Vince Gilligan, and he would say this, and I've read some things, I don't think he knew where it was going. That's the great thing about storytelling is that he had a vague idea. Um, but, you know, kudos to AMC for letting him go five years and play the whole tale out. Yeah. I remember when I first saw the commercial for that, I'm like, that looks asinine. You know, <laughs> you know what's Hal from Malcolm in the Middle doing in his tidy whities out in the middle of the desert coming out of a Winnebago, you know, chemistry teacher cooking meth. Yeah. You know, great story idea, I think, kind of hokey, but yeah. let's see what happens. Because at the time, AMC had, at Mad Men, I think, had been out for like a season or whatnot. And I loved that. Yeah. When it started, I loved it. And I was like, AMC's doing really good shit on television. So let's give this Walking a shot. Dead, I, I like Breaking Bad. Well, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
I like Brian Cranston. You know, he's good. He's Tim Watley from Seinfeld. You know, the yeah. the anti dentite. And uh, <laughs> and again, he was great on uh, Malcolm in the Middle. But um, yeah, so I watched it from the beginning. And and as I describe to people who don't watch it, what Breaking Bad does to me and why I love that show is because it creates tension. Yes, it does. It creates incredible tension, and you know bad things are going to happen. And it you, makes you uncomfortable. Right. It does. It does. There are things that are happening. And you're like, Walt, don't do that. Or please don't do please, whatever character. Please don't do that. Please don't put yourself in that situation. And then when they're in that situation, then you know how it's going to end. And you don't want to watch it. And it happens. And then it sticks with you. And I think that's yeah. good. That it's, again, that's what good writing does. That's what good films do. That's what good everything does. If, if, if it makes you feel... It makes you feel something. Right, exactly. There's some visceral, hey, I'm in this. I'm involved in this. I care about this. I give a shit. Yeah. Um, You know, I've got my man crush on Aaron Sorkin. So I was big into the newsroom. You know, they wrapped a couple of weeks ago. The week before the Emmys, they had their season two finale. Oh, really? Then Jeff Daniels went and won the damn Emmy for, for best actor. You know, Sorkin, love him as a writer, but I'm forcing myself to like that show because Sorkin writes it. Ah, okay. I see what you mean. You know what I mean? You find yourself making excuses for their work if you're a fan. I understand. And and I force myself. Don't get me wrong. I I still think he's great. An hour of Sorkin is better than an hour of a lot of people. (laughs) And somehow he still finds a way to make the last five minutes of an hour say, okay, I'm I'm glad I invested my time in it. Right. 55 minutes was absolute shit. <laughs> but that last five minutes makes it. And he's got a knack for that. Yeah. And he he weaves a storyline pretty well in this last season two of that show, which isn't a great show. Rolling Stone actually just referred to it as one of the worst shows on television or <laughs> one of the one of the best worst shows on one TV. One of the best worst yeah, shows. You know, because it's, which I see you have on a, as a future topic of a show, best shitty movies. Yes. Um, and, and that, you know, there, there's I think a lot of people get that where there's stuff that's like, this is terrible. Why am I watching? watching it why do i watch it over and over again so and then i've been um you know i've been i've been reading drips and drabs of just stuff not not i can't tell you the last time was i actually you know since it's since it's my birthday weekend happy birthday thank you thank you very much thank you we can't play happy birthday because why you gotta pay but you gotta pay out the ass for that remember really that is not part of the eminent domain and you'll get if you alter it a who owns it good question but somebody will come after you and, <laughs> and ask for a royalty if you do anything with that. So don't. You'll get your ass handed to you. All right. Well, then one thing I will not be adding in post, I guess. So on that note, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit on our main topic, Dark Fairy Tales. Stare at my own reflection. Stay with us. Wonder if you'd even
And we're back. We're back. We are back. So what were we talking about? We were talking uh, about, we were about to talk about dark fairy tales. We were. So fairy tales. Fairy tales. Original fairy tales. Originals. Well, then again, are they originals? Do we? That's that's a great point. We don't know. Because they're just what the Grimm's managed to write down. But right. they had been an oral tradition for so long prior to that and were borrowed from so many different cultures and changed so many times over the years. But some of these sound like disturbing things that you wouldn't want to tell a child. I don't know. You're a parent. I'm a parent. I, you I'm, are. I'm, I'm, I'm a parent. You are a Apparently. space parent. Ah, there we go. It's it's tough. It's it, that's one of the verbal things that you know <laughs> people don't know your where you're where you're placing your spaces and your whatnot. My theory on fairy tales is that um, you know the the reason why people have such a connotation of fairy tales being good is because when we grew up reading fairy tales, a lot of things were not accepted. A lot of things weren't weren't we weren't allowed to read things in a certain way, and I think we have fairy tales were presented to us differently, very sanitized. Yes, they were. They were cleaned up a lot and made safe for consumption um, by either whoever put out the particular copy of that original manuscript. Mm-hmm. They cleaned it up, and and I've got some comments about that. And then also we know what the fine folks at Disney have done to these stories over the years, which, again, we understand why. I think fairy tales in and of themselves were always dark. I think a fairy tale was always scripted as a cautionary tale. So, yeah, before I go on to that, I was listening recently to a a lecture about writing. And the person who was giving this uh, lecture did her doctorate work in... Arthurian legend, you know, King Arthur's, you know, the legend of King Arthur. Yeah. She's, she's very educated in the subject. Clearly, you get she's. a doctorate in that? You, well, I, I, I mean, that's pretty it, sweet, it, it, actually. It's funny that you say that. Her doctorate isn't in King Arthur, it's in like medieval English. Grail-bore. Right. You know, right, exactly. That's about what it is. It's like saying, yeah, I got my, I have a doctorate in Middle English literature and my concentration is Tolkien. I know everything there is to know about Middle Earth. That's what it is. Her doctorate is in medieval english literature and she's writing some crazy ass she's indiana jones's mother well that's about it and she's writing some crazy ass book with these people about the geography that's set forth in the arthurian legend oh i'd read that that's that's, you know i mean that's a page you know what i mean (laughs) sounds fascinating and and the thing is like what i love about that though dan is the fact that there's actually people out there that that's their crap that's their trade that's what they do you know you can get that specific that's my point it's like how do you get a job? And and she probably loves it. You know, I'm I sure. get I get paid good money. I'm I'm a tenured professor at a prestigious university, and it's all because I spent four grueling years pouring <laughs> over fucking ancient text <laughs> that outline what Arthur and his band of whatever. You know what I mean? It's seriously, it'd minstrels. be like me and you going. You know what? I want a doctorate in science fiction, and my doctoral thesis is going to be on the topography of Hoth. Several chapters. I'm going to do a chapter on Dagobah. I'm going to do a chapter on Tattoo. You know, I'm going to hit them all. Are you going to explain why every planet in Star Wars has one ecosystem? Yeah, and I'm, right. that's, and that's, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it like an old geography textbook where I explain, you know, what the, what the what the classes are like, what the what their major import export are, what they're known for, what their major industries are. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Nice. Yeah. Serious, <laughs> you know, it's like what the fuck, and that's you know whatever, admirable, great, estimable, laudable work for good for her. But anyway, back to the thing. So, so she's telling this tale about 
Arthurian legend and like the first the the first commercial prints of the books about Arthur. Okay. But she reads this passage where it talks about what Arthur said to the knights at the feast, like the Pentecostal feast or whatever, and he basically recites the the knight's code. And one of the things that she references there, the knights are told by Arthur that they shouldn't rape women. Among the, and it goes through all of these things, like this is what we do, and this is what we believe in, and you know, and it's oh, all way. it's all about them being noble, and right. they're all these things are noble. And one of the things is we shall never rape women because you need to be told that. See, you're smarter than I realized, Dan, because that's what she comes out and says. Now, generally, you don't tell somebody not to do something unless that activity is taking place. Right. The fact that Arthur is instructing these noble knights not to rape women tells us that one of these noble knights did, in fact, rape women. So because these back in, back in days of yore, the, the tales of King Arthur, the legend of King Arthur, were meant to inspire people and show the nobility of the knights the first texts of that book had that section taken out uh -huh. there was no reference to the raping of the women or lack thereof or the lack thereof or the advice not to so when i when i started thinking about you know your topic here the dark fairy tales and how what what you commented on on before about how things have changed over time. Yeah, I think that's what happened. I think back in the day when these things were first published, people wanted to a they wanted to sell books. I mean, there's there's commercialism has always been around. It, oh yeah, it's not it's not been recently where people sold their souls to make a buck. Um, that's always been there. And people who were booksellers back in the day wanted clean texts and wanted to you know they didn't want to sell things that were objectionable and smutty and whatnot and blah blah blah. So I think the origin I think I think fairy tales have always been somewhat morbid because again I believe they're cautionary tales. Yes. I believe that they're they're we, we sit around the campfire and we concoct these tales because we want to get people's attention and people and parents tell kids fairy tales because they want to scare them to not do something, right. you know? You don't go into the woods because you know what's in the fucking woods? There's a big ass wolf in there that is going to eat you. That's, That's exactly why you right. don't go and in. Nobody's going to come and save you. That's right. And nobody's going to be able to save you. Yeah. You know, it's 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 that that's what they're for. And and I think they were so watered down Absolutely. from the original texts. And I, I think that's the way they were always written. I think they were always grim, pardon the pun. Yeah. They were always dark. And I think much like the original King Arthur, the text was changed, it was edited, it was watered down. And of course, over the years it's been like I like I noted before no criticism of the fine folks at Disney, they've watered them down because, you know, you can't you can't scare the hell out of six-year-old kids walking into an IMAX theater. Right. Yeah. You can, but you shouldn't. They won't come back. Um, even some of the early published versions of these stories are a lot darker. And the, and the morals are completely different than what we get from them today. Take, for instance, the original 1812 Cinderella. Then her mother gave her a knife and said, cut the toe off. When thou art queen, thou wilt have no more need to go on foot. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so, so there you go. And here's the funny part. They take off, and he's like, oh, well, obviously you're the girl because your feet are in the shoes, so here we go. And they take off. He doesn't notice that it's the wrong girl twice mm -hmm. because the other sister cuts off her heel. It takes a pigeon telling him 
that he needs to turn around and go back, that there's blood gushing out of her shoe. He doesn't pick up on this at all. Well, this prince is obviously one of the dumbest motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, he must be, like, really horny or really stupid. Well, there you go. I mean, it's, and, and, you know, I think that, you know, now that you were talking about this, and I, you know, this is a half-baked thought. I mean, we're just talking about this. Right. Um, but I think, you know, that that... That's kind of brilliant. I mean, it's very insightful about the things that people are willing to do. Yes. You know, and I think that, to your point, the moral is a lot. If, if this is the true original telling of what the Brothers Grimm were doing, and obviously, you know, we can't interview them. They've right. They've been gone for many centuries. They've been gone for centuries now. Dig them up. Uh, right. Um, I think that's the, I think that's very telling. I mean, I think it's insightful back then about, you know, the things that people are willing to do um, to themselves. You know, they'll, they'll cut off an appendage if it means that I can live on easy street for the rest of my life. I will do this. I will cut off. My own arm will fall off. I will take out my left eye. I will do this. I will do that. Yep. If if I can somehow be betrothed to my Prince Charming. Yep. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And, and, it, and But I didn't realize that it kind of goes the other way, too. And, and I, maybe I should go back. Because to your point, it sounds like Prince Charming was a willing dupe. A couple of times. So what does that tell us about him? Yeah. You know, it's the whole, uh, you know. Good uh, enough. I guess. I mean. I, <laughs> I was, was so uh, drunk I was right. I'd, I'd had a little bit of the mead last night. <laughs> um, I'm pretty, I was pretty whacked and it was dark, you know, because the candles were a flickering. Yeah. Um, you looked a little different and I don't remember that blood gushing from your foot, but what? Okay. I don't know. I guess sure. it's like, I guess it's like, you know, in our younger days when you go to the, uh, the nudie bar. And you see the dancer. Uh, yeah, I'm unfamiliar with that. You're unfamiliar with that what concept? Is, wait, what is a this? friend of mine. Yeah, <laughs> well, actually, it is a friend of mine's story, but uh, sure. I, I was present. It's applicable. Um, it's appropriate. friend of mine, and I, there were like, I think, four of us, and we went to the uh, gentleman's club because there were lots of gentlemen there, like Sean Connery was there. and Yes. <laughs> the gentleman. Um, the you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? <laughs> That's right. There were a bunch of very well-mannered, <laughs> clipped British uh, gentlemen sitting around, sipping tea. Of course. Oh, yes, please. Bring your ass closer to my face. <laughs> um, and he, he took a, a, a liking to one of the uh, entertainers, um, well-trained dancer, apparently, and decided... Why not invite this lovely young lady home to, I don't know, have dinner, sit and watch a wholesome television show, maybe do some praying. Together. Yes. Um, and when she got out of her van. She just gets better. Yeah. <laughs> we get back to the house we're renting and uh, she gets out of her van with her son, who's the adult son, I should say. He's like 25, probably older than us. A little bit. Apparently traveling around with mom. Sure. Taking her from club to club. Okay. And uh, once the regular lights that are designed to actually illuminate you and have someone else see you came on, he realized that she wasn't really quite what he remembered her being. The lights were done in such a way in there. It's just like the Seinfeld episode. It's the two-face. <laughs> it's the light, you know, bad light on the porch. Exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. There's certain lighting. You're like, hey, she's oh. not too bad. Like, oh, my Wait, God. Hey, now. So, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I guess that it could have been dark and maybe the prince didn't realize that uh, this uh, huge uh, beast with huge feet that he was uh, loading in the back of his carriage was not the uh, pretty young lady that he met the night before. So, so what do you think that, you know, as, as we explore that, you know, so it says um, that there were a lot of different variations of the Grimm 
works. Yeah, it's just so. So, how do you think Dr. John Towers would feel? Were these remakes of the? <laughs> <laughs> Are these remakes? Just Were they? Was was reimagining? Was Hollywood remaking the Brothers Grimm tales? Or you and, know, my father used to tell me this story. <laughs> ah, no new ideas of your own, I see. Exactly, exactly. Well, well you know, it's like we've talked about, and it's it's. I'm borrowing from 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 many many good writers who already know this. There's only seven basic stories. We know that. Yeah. There's only seven basic themes, and that's all. That's that's the thing. That's the fact that we that, that people can continue down through the years to continue to write and create compelling stories um, with really basic seven basic premises. Um, that's what it all becomes about character development and specific plot devices. That's that's anyway. Right. Um, I mean, I think that's where I think that's where the remake fails. I mean, if you're going to cut it down to you know the 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 truth of why a remake is a bad thing, yeah. a remake is. Basically, you're not adding anything to the story. You're not changing anything. You're not reimagining anything. You're just basically rehashing the same thing that's and stamping your name on it. And usually, just throwing whoever the that month, week, years hot Hollywood celebrity into a role just to get people to show up. And you're using the name of the original movie or story to get that audience in. Yeah, that's whorish. It is. It's just there's no other word for that. Yeah. There isn't. Whorish. I don't know if whorish is actually a word. I just made if it isn't. You've coined a phrase. I've now coined a phrase. I've coined a phrase, of course. A couple of the others here, you know, these are not these are not original works of, of either Dan or or I. Right. You know, we're reading commentary. Okay, what you're referencing there is the stylist.co.uk article on the eight darkest fairy tales, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, the, it's the Brits. Well, they know. Yes. Um, I didn't even realize that that was a UK site. I often find the, uh, the the stuff that I pull off the internet that's got a UK site to be just that much more credible. Yeah. Because I, I like the Brits. I do. I love them. Especially they, if you're talking about original fairy tales. That's right. Well, they would know. I mean, that's where all the good writers are. Well, all the good writers are from Ireland. You know who was a, dist- a, a miserable bastard was James Joyce. I mean, that guy, holy shit. No wonder he was drunk all the time. I, I just read something yesterday where he described the sea as snot green. Who the hell describes the sea as snot green? James Joyce does. And there you go. It's interesting, though. I mean, because it's, nice it's a nice little cliff note version um, yeah. of, a, of, the, of the eight darkest fairy tales. Little Red Riding Hood being the first, which, of course. Now, I don't know if these are in order from most to least sinister or most to least gory or if this is hey in no fucking particular order it's just kind of thrown in you there you know here's eight here's eight here's eight tales and obviously this is a from this story one learns that children especially young lasses <laughs> do very wrong to listen to strangers yes yes that's a, that's well that that goes without saying and, and that that's the Alas, the, the wolves are out there, and that they're, and, and we know that. That's 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 my theory about a, a, a fairy tale in, in 1812 is the, a Friday the 13th movie in 2014. It's the caution. It's the hey, don't go out on dates with boys. Don't go in the woods. Don't drink alcohol. It's the you know, don't do that. 
because if you're a dork like I am, where you actually watch the director's cuts of oh, yeah. the Friday the 13th films and listen to the, the Friday the 13th movies are cautionary, and that's what it is. It's like the script writers, as inane as it may sound, that they're they're like, this is what it is. It's, it's a formula for all the things that parents tell their kids not to do. Then we show the kids going out and doing that, and then the punishment is the big bad wolf or Jason Voorhees comes and kills you because you did these things that your parents told you not to do. Yeah, I mean, period, end of story. That's it. One of the the things about horror movies that they say is always true is that the people that are virgins live and the yep. people that lose their virginity die shortly thereafter. That's right. And that ties it, into a classic does. fairy tale type of thing where, I mean, Little Red Riding Hood is is a cautionary tale about a sexual predator who is the wolf. Wow. Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction? Exactly. Part, right. I drive real fucking fast. <laughs> Not him. That's probably different. So number Harvey two. Keitel the, the, is the so wolf. The, the, the Little Mermaid. Again. Hans Christian Andersen. 1836. 1836. This passage, I just love. I'd never, I never read, I've never had the occasion to read The Little Mermaid, but again, I, I think after reading over this, Daniel, I, I think I might have a greater uh, appreciation for what the writers of Disney do to take these things and, and, <laughs> complete, and completely sanitize. Right, right, right. So here's a little passage. Before the sun rises, you must plunge this knife into the heart of the prince. When the warm blood falls upon your feet, they will grow together again and form into a fish's tail, and you will be once more a mermaid. Exactly. I right. missed that part of the movie. <laughs> I missed that. When she, my she, daughter was watching this, I don't remember that part of The Little Mermaid. Plunge this knife into the heart of the prince. And his blood will get on your legs and turn you into a fish again. I mean, yeah. That's, gee, wow. That's, um, yeah. That's something. That's the advice given to the Little Mermaid. So, so the original ending saw the mermaid turn to sea foam, but it was amended yeah. to have her become a daughter of the air for not killing the prince. Yes, even though it would save her, she she made the right choice. She decided not to plunge a, a knife into his chest as she was advised to, and, and her reward is she gets to become a daughter of the air because. Mermaids don't have souls until they, unless they are sure. loved by a human or something right, like right. that. Right, right. And, and that, that follows kind of with the Disney retelling or the retelling that we've heard of it. But I missed the whole part about <laughs> the, you know, I, I never heard the, that part of the Little Mermaid story before. But, you know, here's what you do. You know, you want to, yeah, yeah, you, know, you know, stab that bastard. <laughs> you know, exactly gut him, right. you know, take, you know, give him the Colombian necktie. Why don't you just slash him like a pig? Exactly. Let the blood spill all over you. <laughs> Yeah, Wade in it. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. like uh, it's it's like um, Splash, where she decides she wants to be a mermaid again, so she puts salt water in the bathtub when all she really needed to do was stab Tom Hanks in the chest. Well, I think it would have been better blood. if she would have stabbed Candy. You know, <laughs> Hanks is too lovable. Um, Candy, the lovable oaf, but you know he was he was so large, um, he would just he would just spewed all over the place. That would have been a lot of blood. That would have been a lot of blood. <laughs> I mean, she right, she could have turned a lot of people back into mermaids. <laughs> right, right, right. Bocce balls. Remember that when she first walks into the. The Statue of Liberty is a gift from the French to bocce balls. <laughs> anyway, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Now he, this is this is kind of, you know. Yeah. And this this I, I like this one as he tried to now, wake her. And I have no idea the Sleeping Beauty, 1634. Yeah. Was this like the first book ever written? 
<laughs> this is right. This was the first. This when they went from the cave wall. This was right after the Bible. This was right after the cave wall. The Lascaux cave paintings, and then in Sumeria. Right, right, right. Gutenberg's printing press, and then Sleeping Beauty. Yes. Because so Gian Battista Basile, I never knew. You know, I just I, again, I think I just, I think, I think that I think every fairy tale was. Brothers Grimm and the, or Hans Christian Andersen, I know, and then it was co-opted by Disney. Yeah, right, that's what that's what I think. I think Disney just bought the rights to everything, and 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 and, and I, I know that's where I'm naive. So so that passage, Dan, that's a little. Um, as she tried, as he tried to wake her, she seemed so incredibly lovely that he began to grow hot with lust. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. That's like Cinemax after dark. <laughs> you know, that's not Disney. Yeah. So holy holy shnikes. However, in this earlier version by the Italian poet Basil, Basil? We'll know. say Basili. 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 Why not? The king does not wake Talia, the sleeping girl, with a kiss, but rapes her. Oh, what? She gives birth to two children, helpfully attended to by fairies, <laughs> right. and one sucks her finger, eliminating the curse. Talia falls in love with the king, but the king's jealous wife kidnaps her children and orders the cook to kill them and feed them to the king. The jealous queen also threatens to burn Talia to death. But the king has his wife burnt to death instead, as you do. See, these are like, you know, Towers would appreciate this. Like, this is like if Rob Zombie <laughs> was given the rights to, you know what, I, you know, because when, when Rob Zombie took, Michael Myers was already a scary character. Rob Zombie took that and took it to a whole new level of gore. Yeah. And just made that character that much more sinister and dark. This is like if, if, if Giambattista Basili said to Rob Zombie, you know what? I would like you to make this movie. <laughs> that's what that's what we would have had there. Why don't you why don't you do Sleeping Beauty? Well, right. I don't have to wake her up, do I? Right, right. She can just keep sleeping for it. Can and I have the, Can I have the guy give her a roofie and then just have his way with her there a couple of times? And then maybe go on a killing spree, you yeah. know, while she keeps sleeping? Are you don't. cool with that? Ah, wait. Oh, she's Woo! Holy smoke! I told you they the were things dark. that have happened to fairy tales over the years. But again, do, do you do you agree with my basic um, horror movies? Are that it's it's yeah, a it's version the, of the fairy tale? It's the urban legend. It's yeah. the fairy tale. It's it's the don't do this or bad things are going to happen to you. They're a little more honest in in that there's a consequence for things. Yeah, and maybe we're coming full circle because I mean you know I think that shows like Dexter broke new ground, Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. and I mean now you have these these reprehensible dark characters that do these things. I mean, and it's not like a movie where I mean you go see as we were talking earlier about Hannibal and you know talking about Silence of the Lambs and you, you go out to and horror movies have done it, but it's like in television now. In, right in your living room, you have, you know, after the kids are in bed, hopefully, stories that have people just walking up to someone and just shoot them in the back of the head. Yeah, it's a, that's a great point. You, that's true. And I think it's the and, – and, and I'm glad you, you, you broached that because that was a subject I, – I was thinking of that. It's all about what has become acceptable now. And I think that's kind of – the argument about these things were always bad, but as society changes, as storytelling changes, as things become more and more acceptable, it's the whole, okay, we didn't want to hear about knights raping women way back when Arthurian legend was first, but then it became acceptable. Not at the action, right. but, but talking about it or getting that out. 
storytelling these days is television. Stories matter here. I think isn't that's AMC's tagline. It's somebody's tagline. Yeah. Um, and, and AMC, I love the fact that in their commercials, they they acknowledge or they're actually broadcasting their shows unapologetically about the broken character. Yeah. And, and about human frailty. And a lot of their shows, and I don't watch them all, but they come right out and they tell you that. And I wish I had the, the text of, of the the one commercial that I've seen over again. And if you think about their shows like Mad Men, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, this low winter sun that's on, and they've got these, they're, they deal with bad, dark subjects. Doesn't matter what, but they're all broken people. It's a morality play. And they're showing you, this is what you get if you do good things. Yeah. This is what you get if you get bad things. And sometimes it is incredibly gray. And I think that's part of the lot that it's like there isn't black and white. Good sometimes you're just in the wrong place. Right. Good at the people right do time. bad things. Bad people do good things. And who are we to judge? And here's the story. And here's the character. And, you know, it's that, you know, remember the, the Michael Rooker character in Walking Dead. That character was good. You didn't know, oh, where, yeah. you didn't know where the hell you were going with that guy from week to week. Yep. You know? Absolutely. I don't know. Is that a statement on society? Is I think a, it is. Is that a statement on us today and where I, we is. are as a culture? I, I think it is. And that's and that's kind of the thing. It's like, and you tie those things together. It's like, and I don't know if it's chicken and egg, but kind of to your point, AMC is a basic cable channel and they say right. shit. They swear on there. There are themes that, Dan, you know, 20 years ago, that was an R-rated movie. Absolutely. You know, and that's the thing. The mores have changed over the years and what's acceptable has changed. Yep. And storytelling keeps pushing that boundary just a little bit further because of what is now acceptable. Yeah. And, and what does that mean exactly about us? I mean, does it mean that as a culture, we've gotten to a point where we've become so desensitized to things that it takes more and more to shock us and grasp our attention because we're so disconnected because people are sending text messages to each other while they're in the same room. What exactly does it mean that we've come full circle to the point where we have to tell these same types of cautionary tales? I, I don't know. I would answer that, but I was checking my phone. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I think you're, you're right. I think that's why storytelling is still so important because it is such a huge fabric of human life and human interaction and the thing that frustrates me so damn much is that there's just such there's such a lack of good storytelling these days the waters on that have definitely become diluted and that's what makes me sad there's a lot of storytelling out there it's just the quality that is lacking these days you're right we're running a little long so why don't we take a quick break and when we come back we'll wrap up
and welcome back to the Ninth Story Podcast. Looks like we've reached the end of the show. Is there anything else we wanted to cover before we wrap up for today? Any uh, any other tidbits that we need to cover? One question that I have, which I would pose to Dr. John Towers, who you know I have a great deal of respect for, um, and I don't know if he shared this. What is he a doctor? What of? is he a doctor of? Because I did. I asked him if he was a gynecologist. Because and- is he an amateur gynecologist? <laughs> because that's the thing. That's the that's the great that's the great line there. Um, but you know, whenever I hear Dr. John Towers, and and I don't know if if our old friend Steve Matico was here, and you you would get this reference too, I immediately think of. Dr. Peter Venkman, and exactly what are you a doctor of, Mr. Mr. Venkman? Yes, yes. See, that's what that reminds me of. I'm sure we could edit that yes. in. Yes, yes. Um, in fact, why don't I go ahead and do that? Um, the quality on this is not the same. This is that lost episode that I told you about because we had some technical issues. But this part isn't as bad as it gets later on. Uh, as it goes along, it gets more and more echoey to the point where it's unusable. So here we go. What are you a doctor of anyway? Are you like a gynecologist or no, a no? Um, I'm a doctor of divinity. Ah. I uh, I paid forty dollars to the Universal Church of Truth. Universal Life Church. Yeah, yeah. I got my doctorate that way because I found out that that's how Hunter Thompson got his doctorate. Uh, for, was from a mail order church. <laughs> and so I was like, well, if you know, if it's good enough for Hunter S. Thompson, that's right. It's good enough for me. So that's right. I only usually use my title though when um, I'm writing bad customer service letters to people. Okay. You know, like you know, like if Burger King forgot like my fucking French fries, like, <laughs> dear Mister King. So uh, he really is. It's like the people who are ordained ministers of some. Like me, I'm an oh, ordained right. minister. You are an ordained at the same minister. church. I actually, I am right. an ordained minister of the Universal Life Church. And Doctor John Towers paid the forty dollars to become a doctor, and get his doctor of divinity. Um, okay, well that clears that up. Yeah. So tonight's episode was uh, brought to you by uh, special guest Morgan Freeman. Thanks for for joining us tonight, Morgan. Uh, it was it was nice to have you in the studios. Well, Dan, I appreciate all of the kindness that you've shown me this evening. And uh, just be careful on your your way down in the elevator to the uh, to the lobby. It's a little dark out there. I certainly appreciate that. You know, you don't want to have to crawl through any pipes or anything. I do not. My friend Andy Dufresne once crawled through many pipes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for tonight. You've been listening to the Ninth Story Podcast, a Hicks and Fabulous production. I broke it. Do you do an introduction? Do we introduce each other? And do you do, sure? Why not? Do why you do, we, do, you do an introduction on this show? We could introduce ourselves and do some witty banter. That is well. That's that's the time. I mean, the time for introductions is generally at the beginning. You know, who George Osukolis. Is? I don't. You ever you never watched the history? I'm sorry, the Ancient Alien Channel. I've not the, the uh, history. I George Osukolis sounds familiar though. Like I've read his name somewhere. He's from some magazine, paranormal magazine, and like the first season, he has normal hair. Yeah. And then it gets a little bigger. And you're like, okay, it's kind of like a fashion thing. And then it gets a little bigger. Now he looks like that guy from uh, 
He looks like Phil Spector. Do you think he's trying to morph into that alien that that's on the front of the book Communion? That you know, the every alien. Yeah, you know, like every the, man, there's the every the alien gray. that everybody describes. You know, they don't like it when you say they all look alike. I know. <laughs> if I was an alien, I'd be offended. I'd be offended. I by think that. I'd be offended. Should by I that. be? Should I? I'm just. I, I don't know if I'm offended by I, that or I not. I think I should be offended. by Maybe that. I am. I don't know. Well, we've never heard that. Before. Well, 